0: Welcome to Living Well with Dr. Pegg, where psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark explores a variety of mental health, wellness, and safety topics, and shares biblically-based psychological strategies for living well and staying safe. Now, here is your host of Living Well with Dr. Pegg, Dr. Peggy
1: Mitchell-Clark.
2: Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Living Well with Dr. Pegg. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. And the show's brought to you by our sponsor, SSI Guardian, the only advanced safety education training program with an accredited CEU. To learn more about SSI Guardian, go to SSIGuardian.com. Well, I'm here with you every Thursday from 1 to 2 Mountain on KLZ 560 and streaming online at drpegradio.com. And if you missed last week's episode or any episode of Living Well with Dr. Peg, check out my program archives at drpegradio.com. And today's show's live, so if you'd like to say hello or join the conversation today, call us now at 303-477-5600, and my engineer, Dave Keita will put you on the air with us. We want to hear from you today if you have college-age children, or maybe your kids are still in high school but thinking about college. And I won't tell you my age, but it's been over 30 years since I applied for college And a lot has changed since I went to college and even since my own children who are in their 20s now went to school. So today we're talking about the college application process and things to look for when helping your children choose the right college for them. Now, especially if you have a high school senior who's not yet applied to college but who does want to go, I have some good news for you today. Uh, There are currently 351 colleges Still accepting applications, and fifty seven have admission deadlines closing within the next thirty days for that that uh, student of yours that may have put it off till the last minute. There's still time. So today's show is for the whole family to help you take the stress out of that process and uh, help you make that transition to college. We're going to help you, your student, and your entire family get ready. And if your child is already in college, we also have some vital information about campus safety while they're away from home. Now my guests today are licensed clinical psychologist, Dr. Michelle Cooley Strickland, and president of SSI Guardian, Mr. Michael Yorio. And we'll hear from Michael Yorio later in the program, but first let me introduce you to Dr. Michelle Cooley Strickland. Dr. Michelle is a UCLA and Johns Hopkins University psychologist, researcher, professor, and anxiety expert. And if those credentials were not enough, Dr. Michelle uh, has also served on College Admissions Review Committee, so we'll get some insider information today. And significantly, she also has a child right in the middle of this college application process right now. Dr. Michelle Cooley-Strickland, thanks so much for being with us. Welcome to the program.
3: I'm I'm having a pleasure to be here, Dr. Pegg.
2: Wonderful. It's great to have you back on the show. You've been on with us before, talking a lot about uh, mental health and mental illness, and in particular, your expertise in anxiety. And so if there's any parents and and young people out there feeling a little bit anxious, uh, you've got the expertise uh, to to help them. uh, First and foremost, some information that I think will put people's minds at ease. Great.
3: Well, this is a process, uh, and... Minds at ease are really important to, to go through this. Um, I know the title of our talk today is, is Taking the Stress Out of the college Application Process, but that's really kind of impossible. Um, stress is a part of that process. You've got deadlines, competition, tests, essay. It's expensive, <laughs> um, but I'm hoping that we can um, make for the audience this, this process manageable and uh, make it a growth and bonding experience. Wow, it's, it's a journey, you know, an optional rite of passage.
2: Hmm. Well, and, and that would be a wonderful outcome, not only that uh, a young person would get into college who maybe thought it was too late, but they're listening to our show now knowing, wait, there's still schools that have um, open um, admissions processes for at least 30 more days. There's time. Uh, but I love what you said, that going through this process uh, as parents with our children, It doesn't have to be uh, uh, something that we're fighting about. It could actually be something that brings us closer together. So that's great. Uh, Some of the other good news is uh, there are 351 colleges still accepting applications. And as I said, 57 of them still have admissions deadlines uh, that are open um, for at least 30 days. Uh, So if someone is listening who has a child who hasn't yet applied to college, uh, how realistic is it for parents to help their children start the process right now? There's so much that goes into it.
3: Sure, it's. It, I mean, give parents credit. I mean, you have kids who've been through it. Um, I have a. I have two kids, uh, and going through it, it's it's always possible, no matter when you get on the treadmill. <laughs>
2: um,
3: and so, at this point, it's as you mentioned, um, there are over 350 schools. But there are also schools that have continual uh, mm-hmm. admissions. And so the community college system is an excellent example. I know you can personally speak to that. Um, and it's, it's about the fit for your child. So if you speaking specifically to high school seniors or um, transfer students, if you're at the point that you have not submitted yet and you still want to, um, that's also telling about the type of school that you want to go to because it, these, this whole process is about the fit between who the child is, well, young adult at this point, and what they see for themselves and what the parents see for them. So if you're a type A, you know, go-getter, got to kill it at every opportunity type of person, your college applications are probably already in. If you're someone who's a little more lackadaisical, has a a slower pace to life, um, are still discovering themselves, those are the folks who probably haven't finished yet. And so those are good fits. Some of those colleges design extended application deadlines because they're a great fit for that slower-paced type of person. Um, And so it is about discovering what's good for you um and so my daughter is applying to a variety of application deadline schools
2: and she's a high school senior now yes mm-hmm.
3: yes so not a, not all of hers are due yet um many have been um submitted and um and we submitted some early some we submitted the day before mm-hmm. the deadline which we can talk about the pros and cons of that mostly cons <laughs> uh, <laughs> But, um, yeah, so it depends on what you want to chat about. But there's, it's never too late. You're already thinking about it. I mean, if you have a five-year-old and mm. you drove past the campus and you say, oh, look, there is um, Johns Hopkins University. Or, you know, it's a, it's a, we have given parents credit and kids credit that this is, if you're in the U.S., um, this is part of what we do. We're, most of the public uh, and private and parochial schools are college preparatory high schools. So they're preparing the students for the college application process. Some that's a good fit. Some won't go to college or will delay their going to college. Uh, so recognize that this is all about fitting who that your, your child is, who you as a person are, with um, the system that is higher education.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, th- that's such a wonderful uh, point there, Dr. Michelle, about finding what's a good fit for your child, because there, there's so much pressure out there. There are so many expectations out there. There's even stereotypes and, and kind of the, the shoulds. And mm-hmm. so it really is about knowing your child well and helping them to discover who they really are and what works for them and then finding the right school that fits them. And there are so many different uh, options, as you point out, that there really is something for everyone. Uh, You you mentioned um, my connection to the community college system, Mm -hmm. both in Virginia and here in Colorado. I taught for many, many years at a community college or at different community colleges. Mm -hmm. And even some of the top students, for whatever reasons, go to community colleges and, you know, back in my day they had a reputation that it's only the kids who can't get in. Mm -hmm. But there are a variety of reasons why someone might even uh, delay. Could be financial, it could be they prefer the smaller class sizes, could be they have some vocational technical programs that are really what they want to do. And so we have um, a range of options for for children, for young people, and I appreciate what you're saying. It's really finding what's going to be the best fit for them. Uh, You talked about uh, exposing children to different colleges at a really young age, even if you live in a community where there are different colleges and universities, simply just pointing them out as you drive by. Uh, What would be some other ways to expose a child to different colleges, and, and how important is that really?
3: it is it is important, I think um exposing you know as you if you have any child, I mean old enough to walk, um, you should if you imagine them as someone who would benefit from a, a bachelor's or a bachelor's degree, should make it a part of your vacations, your trips um, if if there's uh, a university close by that you think that might fit for my child, or let's just explore. Sign up for a tour um, online. It's really easy to register for a tour. Some are more popular than others, so um, plan in advance. Um, of course, if you have high school students, uh, I guess I started. We started more officially when uh, my older daughter was in the eighth or ninth grade. Just taking the opportunity. If you're if you're traveling, you know you go to museums, you go to the hot tourist destination spots. Make it a point to throw in a university. Uh, as part of your travel trips so that your student is exposed um, and starts to get a sense of what it is that they're interested in, what speaks to them. I always say when you have a college campus visit, even uh, when you're selecting high schools, if you're applying to high schools, that school should speak to you. Look at the students there. Are they the type of person you as a student would want to be? Are they the types of students that you, you would want your child to become? Uh, is that an environment that feels like they would nurture and and help your child to become the best person that they could be so that's that's a that's an actual I feel the best way to do that is through a, a campus tour whether it's self guided or using um, uh, the the campus uh, guides um, but there also there's other opportunities which are um, affordable to everyone, which is the uh, virtual tours. And that's something that, Dr. Pegg, wasn't available to you and me when we were applying to colleges. But you can literally, on most campuses, take a tour online um, and uh, get a description, a walkthrough of uh, what's available on the campus. And what's interesting and has changed since since you and I applied to schools is that um, that they track. Many of the colleges track the amount of time, whether you've, you've visited their site, the amount of time that you spend on them, what you, you investigated, and they count that as part of your, uh, quote, demonstrated interest hmm. in their college. So the colleges don't want to just see that you've applied to them because it's a named college. They want to know that you have a specific interest in that school and your campus visits you are spending time on their um, websites. You're communicating with their admissions people. All are fall into the, the category of demonstrated interest. Mm-hmm.
2: And so, um, you know, you were talking about on our vacations, including a college as part of uh, our visit to a particular city. And it would be important to point out that most colleges and universities have a museum or some kind of uh, noteworthy um, um uh, attraction that people would be interested in, um, not not solely just because they have a, a, college, a high school senior interested in college. So mm-hmm. it really can fit in seamlessly with uh, our kids' exposure from a young age so that they can start uh, visualizing themselves at colleges and also, as you're saying, uh, think about, does this school have something that I'd be interested in? Now, I know you have a younger daughter, and mm-hmm. so how important is it to expose uh, siblings and have them be a part younger siblings be a part of the process as the older um, sibling is looking at colleges and universities
3: well I think it's healthy to look at this whole college experience as a family process because it really is an evolution in uh, the family dynamics you, you, you have these children and they stay with you and then our job as being successful parents is for them to become independent and autonomous and move on to their own independent lives, so younger siblings miss the older siblings. Hmm. I mean you you had older siblings, I mean, you know what it's like? I know when my sister left for college it, it was a killer.
2: Hmm.
3: Um, we were very, very close, even though we argued sometimes we <laughs> do, but I, it was you know it was painful so to to go through the process this the, like you said it, it, it is a process together helps with that. So, it helps with that dynamic of losing one of the members of your household from the regular routine, but it's also helpful for your younger uh, children to start visualizing what do they want to do with their lives for career and then um, back into uh, what college choices would be for them potentially.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm speaking with uh, psychologist Dr. Michelle Cooley Strickland. She's a UCLA Johns Hopkins uh, University. Uh, researcher and professor and expert in anxiety. We're talking about col- the college application process and, and even how this whole process can bring a family closer together, help help the young people in a family get to know better what their strengths and weaknesses and interests are. If you have a question for Dr. Michelle Cooley Strickland, give us a call. The number's 303 Fifty-six hundred, Michelle. We're going to talk more about this in the in the next segment, but let's start taking a look at some of the different pieces of the college application process. Let's uh, let's talk about um, college entrance exams like the ACT and SAT.
3: Sure, terrific. And just before we do that, can we also just acknowledge that college isn't just for the the high school senior? And um, Mm. when you were talking about community, your, your remembrances about. How wonderful the college, uh, community college experience was. I was thinking about my favorite students uh, when I taught undergraduates. They were not the students who were straight out of high school. They were the returning students, the, the mothers who had been homemakers or the military persons who were wanted to get a bachelor's degree or older people who were returning to school for the either for the first time or to finish a degree or to try something new. So we're talking not only to those high school students, but also adults who might be interested in in, uh, return, in going to college themselves. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, Dr. Michelle, thanks so much for that reminder, because uh, that really is important. Uh, we're, we're speaking to parents who have younger uh children at home. As young as middle school, you might start exposing them to the college experience and certainly high school sophomores, juniors, and seniors. But also there are adults out there who are thinking about going back to college and this information is relevant for them as well. We're going to talk a little more about Uh, the process, college entrance exams, the ACT, the SAT, what's the difference and why we need them. When we come back from our break, you'll hear a word from our sponsor, SSI Guardian, and then I'll bring back Dr. Michelle Cooley Strickland. Stay with us. We'll be back.
1: Are you prepared for a sudden cardiac arrest? Having an AED is simply not enough. School athletic coaches are required to have CPR and AED training, but they can only save a life with properly functioning and maintained equipment. Maintain compliance and reduce your liability with AED program management from SSI Guardian. Buy an AED and receive a two-year management program for free. Call us today at 877-878-5800 or visit us at SSIGuardian.com
4: you can learn a lot about yourself, and God, from a dog. When her children asked for a dog, this mom got them gerbils. So imagine their surprise, and hers, when she adopted an abandoned dog that she met in Dallas, Texas, just one day after her divorce. In a way that only God could orchestrate, her spur-of-the-moment decision to take in a little dog she named Dallas was just the beginning of a seven-year journey that transformed her life and taught her to see herself and God in a whole new light. Read Doggy Tales, Lessons on Life, Love, and Loss I Learned from My Dog, a delightful and heartwarming book by psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Part memoir, part Christian inspiration, Doggy Tales is a must-read for anyone who wants to learn to recognize God's voice, even in the most unlikely places. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll love Doggy Tales. Go to drpegradiocom books to purchase your copy today.
1: Threats at our schools and workplace continue at an alarming rate and require an innovative approach to overall institutional safety. A 21st century safe school needs the right training, the right equipment, and the correct action plan to achieve a future-ready, safe learning environment. SSI Guardian's comprehensive, evidence-based solutions and Tier 1 security consulting is the only active shooter training in America with an accredited CEU. Don't trust your safety to just anyone. SSI Guardian is the only choice. Visit us at SSIGuardian.com.
3: Welcome back,
2: everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Living Well with Dr. Peg. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. And as we're starting the new year, maybe you or someone you know needs to jumpstart your goals. If so, I'd like to invite you to my Do Something Different for Change workshop on Saturday, February 17th, 2018 from 9 to 1. Your workshop registration is only $17 and includes a signed copy of my book, Do Something Different for Change. The workshop is part of the celebration of the 10-year anniversary of the book and will be held at Colorado Christian Fellowship at 10700 East Iliff Avenue, which is at the corner of Havana and Iliff in Aurora, Colorado. Do Something Different for Change on February 17th and come to this fun and informative workshop. You can register at drpegradiocom different. And if your high school student wants to do something different for change and apply to college, we've been talking about the college application process. We'll be joined by president of SSI Guardian, Michael Yorio later in the program. But with me now by phone from Los Angeles is Dr. Michelle Cooley Strickland. And Dr. Michelle is a licensed psychologist at UCLA and Johns Hopkins University. And thanks so much, Dr. Michelle, for being on the show with me today.
3: My pleasure.
2: And if you have a question for Dr. Michelle about the college application process, give us a call. Numbers 303-477-5600. And uh, Dr. Michelle, uh, how can listeners get in touch with you if they want to reach out? Mm
3: realoptimalliving.com. Okay. uh, Yeah, my website.
2: Wonderful. And I'll have a link to realoptimalliving.com. On my website, drpegradio.com, and if you want to share this interview with someone, and we were talking about how it's not just young people, it's older adults of all ages, especially we see, see uh, older students, non-traditional students uh, at community colleges, but uh, my, my engineer Dave was telling me that he was in his late 20s when he went back to school, and uh, was at Metro State University of Denver. Uh, so, if you want to share this interview with someone you know, or if you missed last week's episode or any episode of Living Well with Dr. Pegg, go to the program archives at drpegradio.com. Uh, so, Dr. Michelle, we were talking about those uh, college entrance exams. Uh, they've been around as long as uh, as uh, long as I, you know, back in the day when I was applying to school. They're probably not going anywhere. Talk about the ACT, the SAT. And um, which one should, should people take, and do we really need them?
3: Well, if we want to get into college, for most of them, we need them. There's okay. actually a trend, though, Dr. Pegg, uh, for some schools to start not requiring um, the college entrance exams. So if you're one of those that doesn't test well or testing anxious people, mm-hmm. um, you should, in part of your college application selection process, uh, consider schools that, that don't require them. For the majority, though, um, they still require either the SAT or the ACT. The SAT is the Scholastic Aptitude Test that most of us are familiar with, uh, and the scores range from 400 to 1,600. And, yes, some people do get that Mm -hmm. Mm 1,600, and, of course, some people do get that 400. So uh, most people fall in between. It tests reading, writing, and language, and then math. So it has three components versus the ACT, which the scores range from 1 to 36, and it has four components, English, Math, Reading, and Science. Now, what you see is the difference, is major difference, is that the SAT does not um, include science. The ACT is the one that includes science. The SAT has a little more um, reading, and, um, but the ACT allows you to use your calculator on all the math components. The SAT lets you use them on most, but not all. Um, Both have the optional essays and uh, specific subject tests, uh, and both are equally fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's There's a way what a lot of the high schools do is have students take the practice tests of both the ACT and the SAT and then figure out which one is the best for the student so mm. you can compare the different practice scores. These, these scores don't count towards anything. The colleges don't see them. Um, they do, however, uh, impact merit-based scholarships because if your scores are on the high end, you kind of get flagged and, um, and uh, targeted for some merit-based scholarships.
2: Okay, so kids have options, or or um, folks who want to get into college have options. Mm-hmm. And again, it's about what's a good fit. Uh, what are their interests? Are they in a sci- Going into the sciences, mm-hmm. for sure, they need that ACT. Depending on kind of the, what their um, uh, experience has been, they may need their calculator. Mm-hmm. Uh, that might be a critical uh, factor of which one they decide. So we have options. Uh, now, how do we? How do we balance out those test scores with actual uh, school grades? Uh, how are grades considered in that process, and, and kind of how do those pieces fit together?
3: Well, can I, if you permit me, I'd like to say a little bit more about that testing in terms of preparing for the testing. Mm-hmm. Because um, you have many options. And thankfully, we live in a time when most people have access to a computer, whether handheld or otherwise, um, That they, that Khan Academy has uh, uh, has worked with the um, testing programs to provide tutorials, so it's free. Um, and you can do that on – your kids don't have any excuse. They can do it on their phones. They can do it on the computer um, to prepare for the, for the uh, aptitude tests. There's also online programs. There's – you can – your student can um, prepare by themselves or they can Im- – you, you can pay for um, private tutoring, whether it's uh, group tutoring or private uh, individual sessions. But, you know, that's, a, that's an issue of how much money you want to spend, how much t- time your child has, because a lot of our children are over-involved as it is, and those um, tutoring programs and, and prep classes want several hours a week, like up to eight hours a week they want um, for sometimes months, for your child to be um, get the best benefit from the programs that they have, and they're costly, so these are things that you need to um, consider. The test dates fill up. I didn't know that. <laughs> I'm a bit of a procrastinator. My mm-hmm. daughter didn't know that. So if there are, you know, if there's a school that you want to take, your child wants to actually take their test at, um, sign up early because otherwise, I'll be honest. I ended up driving several hours one way mm. to take my daughter to a testing site she has learning disabilities and so we can talk about that later but to get the accommodations um that uh, she's allowed to have there are only certain t- testing sites that uh, are set up to give extended time on tests so i waited to the last minute we ended up schlepping um a long way to a testing site for her mm-hmm. um so and the other thing is the that I saw kids crying on the way into those tests um, to go into the entrance exam test because they didn't print out and bring a paper copy of their admission ticket. Uh, and so they were turned away, mm-hmm. and they also have to bring a picture ID. I mean, kids don't think about that, but these are things that um, you need. And if I could say one more thing about the, if you have special um, accommodations, there's a, you have to get approval from your school based on pro- the accommodations that you're getting in the school that will allow you to have the extended time during the, um, the uh, entrance exam testing. So mm-hmm. these are things that... I didn't know that I wanted your your listeners
2: to hear. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And again, listeners, you can uh, hear this uh, interview and share it with someone, uh, the recording of it. Uh, go to the archives on my website, drpegradio.com. This would be really good information for folks to have because you're right, you could drive all that way and realize you don't have the, the required materials mm-hmm. with you and, and, and we're running out of time as well to, to reschedule that. So right. talk talk about then how the... How grades fit in and you mentioned your daughter has a learning disability and so there might be lots of folks listening who think you know I didn't do great in school or I'm yeah. I'm in uh, high school right now I'm not doing very well I have a learning disability is that going to be held against me talk about uh, how, how grades factor into this whole process
3: so at school colleges are moving away from straight just uh, scores the GPAs and the test scores as the primary way of, of admitting students. Many of the schools, and again, this is a, a fit issue, are looking at the whole student. Mm-hmm. And so we talked about the, the, the aptitude scores, but the GPA, I'm telling you, to help yourself, um, students uh, and parents, do your best, especially in the 10th and 11th grade. Mm-hmm. They're crucial. So uh, we've been... Admissions counselors will tell you, it's it's the it's the um, pattern that your student demonstrates. So they they adjusting to ninth grade wasn't so easy, maybe, but tenth grade they they um, were made much improvement, and eleventh grade they killed it. Mm-hmm. That pattern is going to help you. If you have the descending pattern, you started out um, killing it in ninth grade. 10th grade, no, pretty good. Really, in 11th grade, you start coasting, that is a, it's a red flag against you. Uh, and so it, it's about the climb, because what they want to know is that you are going to continue that pattern when you're in high end college. Uh, and so the GPA is not a, a, a what schools will, will provide you is the range uh, or the, the median range of, of scores of their acceptances so there's always and it and it causes anxiety for all but the the all but the top 10% of students in your in your class it's going to cause a great amount of anxiety so just because your GPA isn't within that range don't necessarily not apply to that school because there's also students if you have an average that means somebody's higher than that and also means somebody's lower than that. So if your other elements really make you a great fit for that school, go ahead and apply anyway. I mean, the worst they can do, at least they can do is is tell you no, and you're no worse off than you would be if you never applied.
2: Mhm. And so they're looking for well-balanced students. Of course, the better your grades, the better your chances, but grades are not everything. Test scores are not everything. Uh, what's the role of sports and extracurriculars and community volunteer work and that kind of stuff in getting, helping students uh, be admitted to college? Critical. Mm-hmm. Um,
3: it's critical. I mean, honestly, if you have a GPA of 4.25 and you have a 15.99 on your SATs, really maybe not nearly as critical. But if you go to these uh, college admission um, seminars, they're going to say, "Look, we want students who are going to make a contribution to our community, and that means a diverse body of students." So, yeah, killing it with grades and SATs is super. But if that's all you did, and you didn't make a contribution to your campus, you have four years in high school to to mm-hmm. make a difference. You're not as you're not as desirable as someone who has a lower, you know, a slightly lower GPA um, and slightly lower test scores but is president of this and volunteered for four years at that. Um, and so these, they want to see what you're going to contribute to their campus. So there's also not just that you did a, you know, it's not volume of activities, it is depth of activities. Mm-hmm. So you were, you were four years on the track team. You, were, you volunteered for X ex- community group For four years, and you were unpaid, or um, you started as just a regular member of a club and then you became an officer and then you became president. You know, it's that kind of stick to itiveness, not the flighty, oh my goodness, I'm about to apply to college. (laughs) I better start putting some, you know, getting involved in some activities. They notice that. So it's about beco- it's, it's about demonstrating that you are a part of a community and making a difference
2: right and and dr. Michelle, that seems to be one thing that stands out that's really different today than perhaps mm-hmm. back in our day mm-hmm. where uh, you could be you know a great student great SATs and maybe you know I played in the marching band you know mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm that kind of thing would be enough back in the day. Uh, but one of the things that you're highlighting is it's not enough just to be in a club. They wanna see that you've started a club based on a need, or as you said, you know, stuck with it for a long time and became an officer, uh, so it really, it really is different today than it was back in our day, uh, way more competitive. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, though, there's a lot of resources. Uh, yeah. We used to have our high school counselor, you know, the guidance counselor. But today they, they even have uh, personal college application advisors that some families are paying companies uh, to, to work with their student, um, not just in their junior year or senior year, but uh, from the beginning of high school. Can you talk about that a little bit?
3: Yes, one of my friends is, in fact, one of them. Mm. She was the college counselor for a very, very large parochial school here in Los Angeles and uh, and decided to go out on her own. And it's quite lucrative, which means on our parent end, it's quite costly. Mm-hmm. Um,
5: mm-hmm.
3: But, you know, part of what the, the, the essence of what we're talking about today is making the process less stressful or making it manageable. Mm-hmm. And if you have dynamics where you and your child are... Butting heads, you know, a third independent, objective, knowledgeable party really can help that process by saying, "Okay, let me speak to you, parents, and let me speak to you, um, student." And that person is a resource for for both both groups, um, who's knowledgeable and really has the best interest of your child at heart. Uh, I think I, I think they're beneficial. I mean, and and they can structure, you know, whether it's a one time meeting with them or an ongoing, as you say, four years um, process. Um, so some college counselors at your high schools aren't maybe fans so much because they might provide contradictory advice, but you have to, to make the best decision for your child, knowing whether if you have a self-starter child, you might not need that, that um, private counselor. If you have a, a child who's lexidasical and uh, and deadlines don't really mean much to that person. You know, you might need that other person, so you're not the constant nag about, have you written your essays yet?
2: So there there's help for everyone. And again, it's knowing your child, helping your child uh, really know themselves and kind of reflect on uh, what their strengths and weaknesses are, what they're looking for, what their passions are, and finding the right resources uh, to help them uh, get the outcome that they're desiring. Uh, we're going to be talking with um, um, Michael Yorio. will come into our conversation after our break uh, to talk about campus safety, mm-hmm. um, and that's that might be one of those critical factors in selecting a college that uh, parents may prioritize over students. But you told me that your daughter was interested in safety when that was an important factor for her in selecting the college of her choice.
3: Yes, there, there are multiple elements, and and I was surprised that that was an issue for her, but on um, at multiple campus visits, she would ask questions pertaining to are there, is there um, are there walking services if you work mm-hmm. late at night? She's an artist, so she works to late hours at night, and she wants to know, are the buildings locked? Mm-hmm. Um, if I need to be, have an escort, is that possible? Is there a cost? What if I'm off campus? Um, how quickly do you have responses? These little blue light boxes mm-hmm. um, that Michael will probably talk about how um how available are they, uh, and so what rates of safety are there um so she she was actually quite interested and in, and in, in even going through the dormitories, how are they set up yeah, great, um, great, yeah, yeah, yeah so, so
2: we're going to bring uh, Michael Yorio into our conversation to talk about these things. And kudos to your daughter for being aware of that. Michael Yorio is the president of SSI Guardian. And uh, he'll talk about all of those things and more that your daughter is asking questions about. So parents, uh, if you have a young person that's in the middle of this college uh, application process or you already have a college student on campus, stay tuned to get some really important safety information from Michael Yorio of SSI Guardian when we return. Stay with us. I'm taking my freedom
1: Schools are increasingly adopting 21st century learning strategies. However, safety largely remains absent from the conversation and fragmented efforts continue allowing for security gaps. Studies show effective learning can only exist when students and teachers feel safe. As the industry leader providing innovative educational solutions for more than 58 years, School Specialty has created the 21st Century Safe School, which aligns next-generation learning best practices with proven safety solutions focused on the mental, physical, and emotional well-being
5: What if a psychologist with years of clinical teaching experience wrote a book revealing secrets that therapists know but usually don't share? And what if that book provided strategies for experiencing change and transformation? That's exactly what you get with Dr. Pegg's book, Do Something Different for a Change, an insider's guide to what your therapist knows but may not be telling you. Celebrating 10 years in print, this self-help classic shares insights and strategies to help you overcome three common barriers to change, heal your emotional pain and emptiness, and strengthen your common connection to your true self and others. In an easy-to-understand, down-to-earth style she's known for, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark clearly communicates fundamental principles related to change and reveals secrets that your therapist knows but may not tell you. Read Do Something Different for a Change today and have a better tomorrow. Go to drpegradio.com slash books to purchase your copy today.
2: Hey. Welcome oh. back, everybody. I'm your host, Dr. Hey. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, and I've been speaking with Dr. Michelle Cooley Strickland about the college application process how to reduce your stress and anxiety around it, and even use this process to draw you closer to your child. And also the information we're sharing is for adults as well who may be interested in going to college as an older person. Uh, If you'd like to share this interview with a friend, go to drpegradio.com for the program archives. And if you want to start the new year off right, Attend my February seventeenth "Do Something Different for a Change" workshop and get a free copy of my book with your registration. Go to drpegradio.com/different to register today. Well, thanks so much, Dr. Michelle, for sharing so much good information with us today about this process.
3: It's been my pleasure.
2: And I'm going to ask you to stay on the line in case our listeners have some questions for you. Uh, and we're going to bring Michael Yorio into our conversation. And again, we're on live today. You can give us a call at three zero three. if you have a question for Dr. Michelle or Michael Yorio, And Michael Yorio is the president of SSI Guardian, a full-service safety and security company that has set the new standard in advanced safety education training. Michael Yorio, thanks for joining us today. Welcome back to the program.
0: Good afternoon, Dr. Pinky.
2: How are things? Things are great. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, Today, under some more positive uh, circumstances, you've been with us pretty regularly to update us on some of the tragic, um, violent, targeted uh, violence that's happening in our country more and more commonly. Um, Today, we're talking about uh, college safety, campus safety. Um, You're the president of SSI Guardian. Safety is what you do. Uh, can you tell us what safety information parents and students should review in order to select the right schools to apply to?
0: We'd be happy to, and again, thanks for having you're me. You're welcome. So in addition to the obvious, right, when we're looking to select a school, either for ourselves or for our children or a family member, uh, in addition to the academic integrity and if if you're interested in, in science and if the school has a robust Science program, campus life, a host host of other factors, campus safety itself cannot be understated or overlooked. Mm -hmm. It is very, very critical, uh, especially in this day and age. So one thing I advise folks on constantly is that our internal instincts, they seldom mislead us. Mm -hmm. So if you have a bad feeling about something, be it at a campus or at a restaurant or wherever you may be, typically there's a reason for that. So you really have to trust uh, your gut. Uh, when it comes to these things. So during your college visit, your college campus visit, uh, make sure that you know, you're know you looking for things and you're really reading and following your own instincts. Um, beyond that, the condition of the facilities. So there are a lot of visible safety measures that, that we can look at and, and ascertain. If that school has truly implemented, let's forget the messaging on websites. <laughs> let's look at what you physically see. So, for example, if you're seeing stop-the-bleed equipment, if you're seeing emergency notification towers and systems and push-button locks on classroom doors and lecture halls, if you're seeing these sorts of things, you are actually witnessing safety upgrades being implemented. Beyond that, parents should not hesitate to inquire about crime statistics, about what sort of prevention and safety training is provided to both faculty and students. They should inquire about their lockdown protocol and really have a, you know, very candid conversation with the appropriate university officials. But b- Before doing any of this, parents and students um, should conduct their own due diligence. So, upping their game, making themselves more aware so they can ask really good, well-thought-out, educated questions.
2: Now, Dr. Michelle's daughter uh, was asking those questions, and so uh It's not just for the parents to be aware and paying attention. Uh, We wanna get young people and the college student, him or herself, regardless of age, uh, to be paying attention as well. Uh, Once the student narrows down their list uh, and decides to visit, um, there are specific things they should be looking at um, during that visit, and you talked about locks and um, um, communication systems. Uh, and that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. But if they can't visit in person, how could they really evaluate that kind of stuff? Um, It's not just what they put on the website, but what could we look at? Michelle talked about virtual tours if they're unable to physically see the campus.
0: Mm -hmm. And I applaud Dr. Michelle. We had some bad audio, so I couldn't hear her too well, but I applaud her daughter for taking the initiative Mm -hmm. and and thinking so forwardly to ask those own questions on our own accord. Uh, Virtual tours are great. So for those who are unable to tour the campus, um, I suggest just that, a a virtual tour, also doing a thorough due diligence online search uh, for maybe incidents that have occurred, not only in that campus, but maybe in close proximity to that campus. Um, Some schools actually risk what they're doing from a safety and security perspective. So there's a lot we can do on our own, whether we are ideally you want to be on campus, but if you don't have that opportunity... Do what you can do from a remote location to find out as much as possible about that environment. Um, Maybe try to reach out to alumni and kind of ask them. um, So there are a host of things we can do, including social media. Uh, You would be surprised on university uh, social media and alumni social media sites, um, the the honest sharing of information that takes place.
2: Mm -hmm. And that, that kind of brings up also talking with other students. What's their actual experience? Um, Dr. Michelle, uh, you were talking about your daughter being an artist and, and working late and being in the you know, studios probably after hours. Uh, sh- she might be uh, well served to talk to some other students and ask them, what's your experience after hours? They say they have um, escorts, but do they really? And so would, that would be a, a, a pretty good source of information, wouldn't it?
3: It would. I, th- I agree with you that they need to find out and be more active. Part of the stress, I think, um, in parenting a student who's about to leave and go away on their own is, will they be safe? And we need to make sure that our children know what questions to ask because there won't be a parent to call to come uh, save them or rescue them or tell them how to handle a situation. So them being proactive Part of our preparing them for going to college is being aware and knowing what to ask and what to do. So I appreciate. Michael's uh, commentary because it, it really is instructive.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and Michael, um, you talk a lot about situational awareness. You've been on the show many times, and I know with the training that SSI Guardian talks about, situational awareness is really the foundation of, of good safety measures. Um, that's something that um, everyone can learn to do. Can you talk about what situational awareness is and, and how it's relevant for the college student? It's
0: absolutely critical, a critical skill set that students can learn very easily, quite frankly, and Mm -hmm. implement on their own. Uh, One thing that we talk about a lot in our training is when it comes to your safety, it is your individual responsibility. In other words, you are responsible for your own safety and well-being. Don't assume someone else is looking out for your best interest. Now, I'm not saying schools aren't taking the appropriate steps, but they can't be everywhere at once. Do not presume that law enforcement is everywhere at all times because, quite frankly, they're not. And in most cases, they are responding after that incident has occurred. So they're always behind the curve, if you will, from that respect. They seldom have advance notice. So what we do as individuals is really, really critical in self-preserving our own safety and well-being. So a few things that we talk about in addition to to situational awareness, walking with groups when you can, versus walking alone on campus. Um, Studies show us that you are less likely to be attacked if you are with a group of people versus if you're by yourself. Being cautious and suspicious, not being suspicious, but being cautious of suspicious, excuse me, activity and questioning by other people. Um, so always keeping aware of your surroundings, no matter where you may be. Walking with your cell phone is another good tip. Um, if you do need to make an emergency call, you want to do that quickly. Most campuses have their own version of a 911 operating system. Uh, sometimes it's 311 or 411. It certainly it varies. But having that emergency number pre-programmed on speed dial So if you need to use it, you can get to it quickly. And actually practicing these things. Mm. So you probably want to block the call when you're doing it so you're not calling (laughs) the hotline all the time from your dorm room or apartment, but practice dialing the speed dial so if you ever have to use it. We know that practice um, makes permanent, as you like to say, Dr. Peggy, and when it comes to safety training and awareness, um, you're going to have muscle memory. So if you never practice it, you may or may not, in a stressful, panic situation, be able to hit that speed dial as
2: fast as you need to do. Mm-hmm. So situational awareness, being aware of your surroundings, the people, the, the circumstances that you're in. And as Homeland Security says, basically it's summarized by uh, if you see something, say something, or... Uh, Also, if you sense something, you said, pay attention to our instincts and intuition. We should do something. Uh, So, what what should um, folks do if they're if they're seeing something, sensing something? Who should they talk to? What can they do?
0: That's exactly right. We are proud partners of DHS's program. See something, say something. Uh, It's very simple. It's easy to follow. If you see something suspicious do not hesitate to report it. Let law enforcement make that determination. Uh, No one's ever been sent an invoice because they Mm -hmm. thought something may be going wrong or the bad way, and police showed up and found it was nothing. Uh, Police would rather you do that than not say nothing and take that risk. Uh, Practicing overall safety. What we know is nobody plans on ever being a victim, right? But we can avoid In a lot of cases, from putting ourselves in a dangerous or high risk situation, so that's very important too. To quite frankly, use judgment and common sense. Uh, If something looks, it looks like it's a bad, dangerous environment. You kind of want to stay away from that environment.
2: Yeah, good common sense is important, and and backed up with good training. And so, uh, we should be looking for institutions that we know, at least staff and faculty, have been trained in, uh, in safety uh, procedures, emergency operations. Uh, let's, let's talk about from a, a student perspective, um, living in a residence hall versus a student who's commuting. Uh, are there specific things that uh, the student who lives on campus should be paying closer attention to uh, versus the student who's commuting, or is it pretty much all the same? saying, yet it's
0: different. Um, obviously, if you're living on campus, you're going to be, if you're in a dormitory, and I uh, go back into my mental Rolodex when I was in college, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're in a dormitory. There's a lot of people, a lot of people, especially if you're a freshman that you've never seen before that you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you want to make sure that you're earning, that they are earning your trust, and you want to make sure that you're really applying those situational awareness skills to that. Uh, you want to make sure that you're not freely giving out, and it's Sometimes difficult to do in a, a a social environment like a college campus that don 't just give out your number or your email to anybody uh, make sure that you're you know you 're really looking after yourself if you 're commuting, you have the obvious additional threat of if you 're driving or taking public transportation, but there are additional threats that are unique to those transportation modes
2: mm-hmm. now i 've had you on the show um, several times in in recent months, Michael, to talk about Um, targeted acts of violence, active shooting incidents, even, um, you know, vehicles now being used as weapons uh, in large public outdoor spaces. Uh, We've had campus shootings in the past, you know, notoriously uh, Virginia Tech. Um, I had Lisa Hamp, who was a survivor of Virginia Tech, was on the show with you um, several months back. Uh, when when a campus shooting occurs, and we pray it wouldn't be at a campus where we have our children, uh, but they're happening at such an such an alarming rate. Uh, what guidance can you give um, if there is a targeted attack of violence? We're talking about some preventative measures and situational awareness. But what do folks need to know, and what can put parents' minds at ease? Um, that if their child is is prepared and equipped, that if something does happen, what can, what can they do? What should they do?
0: And that really brings us back to the importance and criticality of a qualified training program mm-hmm. where students are prepared, because we can talk about advice and tips, but unless somebody's really been through professional training and they've practiced that training, and have done mental imaging of what they may do in that situation, it becomes extremely difficult because even in law enforcement and the military, no one truly knows how they will react in that life-or-death situation until they were actually in that situation. But a few basic tips, for example, we hear the terms firecrackers a lot. In Vegas we heard it. We heard the, the, the crowd was saying, yeah, we thought we heard firecrackers. We didn't know what to do. If you hear firecrackers, unless it's on the 4th of July or another celebration, it's probably not. So you want to distance and create as much distance as possible between yourself and those sounds. Because in all likelihood, they are not firecrackers. So you want to do that. If those sounds are very close to you, you want to lock down or take cover. You want to hide behind large objects. If there are law enforcement folks there giving guidance, you want to follow that guidance. Using Las Vegas as an example, again, there were, there were law enforcement on the ground, and they were directing folks what to do. Now, when we have video, some folks followed those directions, and they were evacuating in the right direction. They were hiding behind large pieces of concrete and, and, and car engines and things, and others ran the opposite way. And that goes back to if you haven't practiced it, some people will panic and perhaps put themselves unintentionally, of course, but put themselves at greater risk.
2: mm mm-hmm. And so training is cri- critically important, not just for faculty staff, but also students. Uh, Dr. Michelle, um, that would be something that you'd want to be taking a look at as your daughter is receiving her uh, college admissions offers uh, to look at what kind of training is available for, for students and what kind of safety program emergency operations program is in place. So hopefully that'll getting that kind of information um, reduces some of the anxiety that we were talking about.
3: Correct. That was one of the reasons she selected the high school she did now, Mm. because it's an all-girls school and they have a women's self-defense class that every senior takes, uh, and and it's empowering for these girls Mm -hmm. as they go on to college.
2: Excellent, excellent. Well, um, Michael Yorio, we have about three minutes left. Um, Talk about some of the the things that um, SSI Guardian has been involved in recently, some exciting things, uh, just returned recently from the college football playoff in Atlanta. Uh, you offered workshops and gave out some amazing prizes. Can you share a little bit about that?
0: Absolutely. It was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Uh, but if I may, real quick, mm-hmm. uh, one one closing remark on the training. It's important when we're asking our, our, our universities about training that we actually bet out the training. Just to say, yes, we have a training program. Mm-hmm. Okay, but what does that entail? Is it evidence-based training following security industry best practices? has it been validated with a professional development CEU. So you, you really want to look at that. Unfortunately, the word training when it comes to this sort of threat is used very loosely. Um, and just saying, yeah, we went through a run, hide, fight, that is simply not enough. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would say is to, to students and parents, if you're ever in that situation, and I pray that none of you ever will be, do not try to be the hero. You, you, you will not succeed against a person who is fixated on doing harm, who is likely armed and dangerous, and you are caught off guard, you are not trained, and you yourself are not armed. So don't try to play the hero card. That typically does not end well. But on a more positive note, back to the College Football Playoff Foundation, we we are proud partners with them, CFPF, as they go by. And to your point, we, we spent the weekend in Atlanta for the championship weekend. Conducted various workshops with Dr. Ping. You conducted two yourself, along with Dr. Ken Wesson. Phenomenal workshops. We also awarded three classroom makeovers valued at twenty-five thousand dollars each for a total of one twenty-five. Because we awarded two more prior to the event, so really exciting and, and quite frankly, to see the tears of joy on the faces of the teachers and the gratitude was was both humbling and rewarding yes uh, so we're very proud of school especially to be able to support education great
2: thank you so much uh michael yorio just uh wonderful to have you back on the show dr michelle cooley strickland thanks so much good luck to your daughter with her college application process thank you both thank you ladies have a great day thank you my guests have been michael yorio and dr michelle cooley strickland i'm dr peggy mitchell clark reminding you to live well
0: we hope you've enjoyed this presentation of Living Well with Dr. Pegg. For more information or to contact Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark about her mental health or consulting services, please visit her webpage at drpegradio.com.